Greetings everyone. Tonight is the fifth night of Shahrazad's storytelling and I am curious of how deep this Inception-esque levels of stories are going to go. First we had the story of the fisherman and then the fisherman was telling the story of what was it? King Yunnan to the Ifrit and then the King Yunnan is going to be telling the story of Sinbad and his falcon to his vizier and I suppose there will be another level coming before we wrap up the story of the fisherman and move on to the next story so let's dive in when it was the fifth night her sister said do you finish for us thy story if thou be not sleepy and she resumed it hath reached me, O auspicious king. Oh, tonight we have a new uh, addition to the regular sentence. It hath reached me, O auspicious king and mighty monarch, that King Yunnan said to his minister, O vizier, thou art one whom the evil spirit of envy hath possessed because of this physician, and thou plottest for my putting him to death, after which I should repent me full sorely, even as repented King Sinbad for killing his falcon. Pardon me, O king of the age, how was that? So the king began the story of King Sinbad and his falcon. It is said that there was a king of the kings of Fars, who was fond of pleasuring and diversion, especially coursing and hunting. He had reared a falcon which he carried all night on his fist, and whenever he went a chasing he took with him his bird, and he bade make for her a golden couplet hung around her neck to give her drink. Therefore, one day, as the king was sitting quietly in his palace, behold, the high falconer of the household suddenly addressed him, O oh, king of the age, this is indeed a day fit for birding. The king gave orders accordingly and set out taking the hawk on fist, and they fared merrily forwards till they made a wadi, roughly translated to oasis, where they planted a circle of nets for the chase, when lo, a gazelle came within the toils, and the king cried, Whoso alloweth yon gazelle to spring over his head, and loseth her, that man will I surely slay. They narrowed the nets about the gazelle when she drew near the king's station, and planting herself on a hind quarter, crossed her forehead over her breast, as if about to kiss the earth before the king. He bowed his brow low in acknowledgement to the beast, when she bounded high over his head and took the way of the waist. Thereupon the king turned towards his troops, and seeing them winking and painting at him, he asked, O vizier, what are my men saying? And the minister answered, They say thou didst proclaim that whoso alloweth the gazelle to spring over his head, that man shall be put to death, quoth the king. Now, by the life of my head, I will follow her up till I bring her back. So he set off galloping on the gazelle's trail and gave not over trekking till he reached the foothills of a mountain chain where the quarry made for a cave. Then the king cast off at it the falcon which presently caught it up and swooping down drove her talons into its eyes bewildering and blinding it. The king drew his mace and struck a blow 
which rolled the game over. He then dismounted, and after cutting the antelope's throat and flaying the body, hung it to the pommel of his saddle. Now the time was that of the... Ooh. <laughs> this is my favorite concept in the whole world. Siesta. Now the time was that of the siesta, and the world was parched and dry. Here in the footnotes is written that the Arabic word for siesta is kailula, and in Persian we call it qailula. It's the same concept, midday sleep. Where was I? Now the time was that of the siesta, and the world was parched and dry. Nor was any water to be found anywhere. And the king thirsted, and his horse also. So he went about searching till he saw a tree dropping water, as it were melted butter from its bows. B-O-U-G-H-S, I don't know how to pronounce it. Thereupon the king, who wore gauntlets of skin to guard him against poisons, took the cup from the hawk's neck, and filling it with water, set it before the bird, and lo, the falcon struck it with her pounces, and upset the liquid. The king filled it a second time with dripping drops, thinking his hawk was thirsty. But the bird again struck the cup with her talons and overturned it. Then the king waxed wroth with the hawk, and filling the cup a third time, offered it to his horse. But the hawk upset it with the flirt of wings. On one side, we have the king who is passionate enough about his animals, who is offering water to his bird and his horse before himself. And the other side of this coin is that this king is dumb enough to not understand that this bird is telling him something. Anyways, but the hawk upset it with a flirt of wings, quoth the king, Allah confound thee, thou unluckiest of flying things, thou keepest me from drinking, and thou deprivest thyself also, and the horse. So he struck the falcon with his sword. <gasps> Why though? And cut off her wings, idiot. But the bird raised her head, and said by signs, look at which hangeth on the tree. The king lifted up his eyes accordingly, and caught sight of a brood of vipers whose poison drops he mistook for water. Thereupon he repented him of having struck off his falcon's wings, and mounting horse fared on with the dead gazelle, till he arrived at the camp, his starting place. He threw the quarry to the cook, saying, Take and broil it, and sat down in his chair. The falcon, being still on his fist, when suddenly the bird gasped and died. Whereupon the king cried out in sorrow and remorse for having slain that falcon, which had saved his life. Now, this is what occurred in the case of King Sinbad, and I am assured that were I to do so as thou desirest, I should repent even as the man who killed his parrot, quoth the vizier, and how was that? And the king began to tell the tale of the husband and the parrot. A certain man and a merchant to boot, had married a fair wife, a woman of perfect beauty and grace, symmetry and loveliness, of whom he was mad jealous, and who contrived successfully to keep him from travel. At last, an occasion compelling him to leave her, he went to the bird market and bought him for one hundred gold pieces a sheep parrot, which he set in his house to act as duenna expecting her to acquaint him on his return with what had passed during his whole time of his absence. For the bird was cunning and cunning and never forget what she had seen and heard. 
Ooh, smart man. So he is plotting. Now his fair wife had fallen in love with a young Turk <laughs> who used to visit her. And she feasted him by day and lay with him by night. Naughty, naughty. When the man had made his journey and won his wish to came home, and at once causing the parrot be brought to him, questioned her concerning the conduct of his consort whilst he was in foreign parts. Quoth she, Thy wife hath a man-friend who passed every night with her during thine absence. Bitch, every night? Thereupon the husband went to his wife in a violent rage and blushed her, oh, and bashed her with a bashing severe enough to satisfy anybody. The woman, suspecting that one of the slave girls had been tattling to the master, called them together and questioned them upon their oaths, when all swore that they had kept the secret, but that the parrot had not, adding, and we heard her with our own eyes. Upon this, the woman bade one of the girls to set a handmill under the cage and grind therewith a second to sprinkle water through the cage roof and a third to run about right and left flashing a mirror bright steel through the livelong night next morning when the husband returned home after being entertained by one of his friends he bade bring the parrot before him and asked what had taken place whilst he was away pardon me o master pardon me o master this is funny yeah? quoth the bird i could neither hear nor see aught by reason of the exceeding murk and the thunder and lightning which lasted throughout the night. As it happened to be the summer tide, the master was astounded and cried, But we are now in the mid-Tammuz, middle of the summer, and this is not the time for rains and storms. Aye, I saw with these eyes what my tongue hath told thee. Upon this the man, not knowing the case nor smoking the plot, waxed exceeding wroth, and holding that his wife, had been wrongously accused, put forth his hand, and pulling the parrot from the cage, dashed her upon the ground with such force that he killed her on the spot. Some days afterwards, one of his slave girls confessed to him the whole truth. Look, I've been reading these stories, I mean, right now we are in the fifth night, and I've been seeing this word, slave, a lot, and I've been reading the Persian version too, and also I know a bit about the background of the Arabic word for it too, and when comparing the words together, I don't think that slave is the best translation for the word that is used, and the concept that these stories are talking about, because from a western point of view when you say slave, you think about something cruel and inhumane, and a person being owned by another person, having no rights, and a uh, especially the black history, but from what I know, as far as I'm concerned, in the context of the Middle East and the ancient Persia, the context that these stories were developed in, when they use words such as bande or gulam, which are roughly translated into words such as slave, it doesn't represent the same meaning. I'm not a linguist by any means, but it's just a little bit confusing when I'm when I'm reading two translations 
one is Persian and one is English. Both happened in the 19th century and both are presenting stories developed in the Middle East, in India and Persia, in the Arab world. And from my connection to these cultures and also my knowledge of the Western culture in, the, in Europe and North America, I think there should be, I think at least we must approach these stories and these words with a grain of salt or, yeah, that's it, I'm just ranting. Let's move on with the story. Yet would he not believe it till he saw the young Turk, his wife's lover, coming out of her chamber when he bared his blade and slew him by a blow on the back of the neck. Holy shit. And he did the same by the adulteress. And thus, the twain laden with the mortal sin went straightways to eternal fire, judge and executioner. Then the merchant knew that the parrot had told him the truth anent all she had seen, and he mourned grievously for her loss, when mourning availed him not. The minister, hearing the words of King Yunan, rejoined, O monarch, high in dignity, and what harm have I done him, or what evil have I seen from him that I should compass his death? I would not do this thing, save to serve thee, and soon shalt thou sight that it is right. And if thou accept my advice, thou shalt be saved. Otherwise, thou shalt be destroyed even as a certain vizier who acted treacherously by the young prince. And the king asked, How was that? So the minister thus began, The tale of the prince and the ogress. Okay, so we had the fisherman and the ifrit. Then we had the vizier of the King Yunan and Sage Duban. Then King Yunan told the story of Sinbad. Then also husband and the parrot. Now it's the minister's turn to tell the tale of the prince and the ogress. A certain king who had a son over much given to haunting and coursing ordered one of his viziers to be the attendants upon him whithersoever he might wend. One day the youth set out for the chase accompanied by his father's minister, and as they jogged on together, a big wild beast came in sight, cried the vizier to the king's son, Up, and at yon, noble quarry! So the prince followed it, until he was lost to every eye, and the chase got away from him in the waste whereby he was confused, and he knew not which way to turn, when, lo, a damsel appeared ahead, and she answered, I am daughter to a king among the kings of Hind, and I was travelling with a caravan in the desert, when whereby I am cut off from my people, and saw bewildered. The prince, hearing these words, pitied her case, and mounting her on his horse's crupper, travelled until he passed by an old ruin. When the damsa said to him, O oh, my master, I wish to obey a call of nature. He therefore set her down at the ruin, where she delayed so long that the king's son thought that she was only wasting time. So he followed her without her knowledge. And behold, she was a gula. <laughs> gula. Gul. Yeah, it's a funny word. Yeah, what we call in Persian gul, I could say... Or the equivalent to mountain troll. Yeah, you could say troll. And Kula 
in Arabic is like when you add ah at the end of a word, you make it feminine, so to say. So قول is a male troll and قولاه in Arabic is a female troll. Anyways, she was a قولاه, a wicked ogress who was saying to her brood, Oh my children, this day I bring you a fine fat youth for dinner. Whereto they answered, Bring him quick to us, O our mother, that we may browse upon him, our bellies full. The prince, hearing their talk, made sure of death, and his side muscles quivered in fear for his life. So he turned away and was about to fly. The Gula came out and seeing him in sore affright, for he was trembling in every limb, cried, Wherefore art thou afraid? I have hit upon an enemy whom I greatly fear. Didst thou not say I am a king's son? Even so. Why doest not give thine enemy something of money, and so satisfy him? He will not be satisfied with my purse, but only by my life. And I mortally fear him, and am a man under oppression. If thou be so distressed as thou deemest, ask aid against him from God, who will surely protect thee from his ill-doing, and from the evil whereof thou art afraid. O thou who answerest the necessitous when he calleth upon thee, and dispellest his distress, O my God, grant me victory over my foe, and turn him from me, for thou over all things art almighty. The Gula, hearing his prayer, turned away from him, and the prince returned to his father and told him the tale of the vizier. Whereupon the king summoned the minister to his presence, and then he slew him. Why? Why you slew the minister? Holy shit. It was mountain trolls and praying and killing the minister suddenly. Thou likewise, O king, if thou continue to trust this leech. Aha, so this is, we jumped a level up. And the Inception-esque storytelling. And now the the evil wazir is telling King Yunnan, Thou likewise, O king, if thou continue to trust this leech, shalt be made to die the worst of deaths. He verily thou maddest much of, and whom thou entreatedest as an intimate will work thy destruction. Seest thou not? How he healed the disease from outside thy body by something grasped in thy hand? Be not assured that he will not destroy thee by something held in like manner. Replied King Yunnan, Thou hast spoken sooth, O Vizier. It may well be as thou hintest, O my well-advising minister. And be like this sage hath come as a spy searching to put me to death. For assuredly, if he cured me by a something held in my hand, he can kill me by a something given to me to smell. Then asked King Yunnan, O minister, what do you think must be done with him? Send after him this very instant and summon him to thy presence. And when he shall come, strike him across the neck. And thus shalt thou rid thyself of him and his wickedness and deceive him ere he can deceive thee thou hast again spoken sooth o vizier 
said the king, and sent one to call the sage, who came in joyful mood, for he knew not what had appointed for him the compassionate. <laughs> As a certain poet saith, by way of illustration, O thou who fearest fate, confiding fear, trust all to him who built the world and wait. What fate saith, be perforce, must be my lord, and safe art thou from the undecreed of fate. As Duban the physician entered, he addressed the king in these lines, And fail I of my thanks to thee, nor thank thee day by day, For whom compose thy pose and verse, for whom my say and lay. Thou lavishedst thy generous gifts, ere they were craved by me, Thou lavishedst thy boons, unsought sons, pretexts or delay. How shall I stint my praise of thee? How shall I cease to loud the grace of thee in secrecy and patentest display? Nay, I will thank thy benefits, for I thy favours lie, light on my thought and tongue, though heavy on my back they weigh. And he said further on the same theme, Turn thee from grief, nor care a jot, Commit thy need to fate and lot, Enjoy the present passing well, And let the past be clean forgot. For what so haply seemeth worse, Shall work thy wheel as Allah what? Allah shall do whatever he wills, And in his will oppose him not. And further still, to the all-wise subtle one trust worldly things, Rest thee from all whereto the worldlings clings. Learn wisely, well naught cometh by thy will, But even as witheth Allah, King of kings. And lastly, gladsome and gay forget thine every grief. <laughs> gladsome and gay. It's written gay, G-A-Y. I don't know what it means in this context. Please enlighten me if you know. Gladsome and gay, forget thine every grief. Full often grief the wisest hearts outwar. Thought is but folly in the feeble slave. Shunt it, and so be saved evermore. Said the king, for so return. Knowest thou why I have summoned thee? Allah most highest alone can have hidden things. I summoned thee only to take thy life and utterly to destroy thee. Duban the wise wondered at this strange address with exceeding wonder and asked, O king, and wherefore wouldest thou slay me? And what ill have I done thee? Men, tell me, thou art a spy sent hither with intent to slay me, and lo, I will kill thee ere I be killed by thee. So he called to his sworder and said, Strike me off the head of this traitor, and deliver us from his evil practices. Spare me, and God will spare thee. Slay me not, or God shall slay thee. And he repeated to him these every words, Even as I to thee, O Ifrit, and yet thou wouldest not let me go, being bent upon my death. If you were confused as I was, this was the fisherman telling to the Ifrit these rooms. Just these two sentences. We're going back to the King Yunan and the sage. I shall not be safe without slaying thee. For as thou healest me by something held in my hand, so am I not secure against thy killing me by something given to me to smell or otherwise? 
said the physician. Then this, O king, is thy requital and reward? Thou returnest only evil for good. There is no help for it. Die thou must, and without delay. Now when the physician was certified that the king would slay him without waiting, he wept, and he regretted the good he had done to other than the good. As one hath said on this subject, Of wit and wisdom is Maimunah here, whose sire in wisdom all the wits outstrippeth. Man may not tread on mud, or dust, or clay, save by good sense, else trippeth he and slippeth. In English, beware of your surroundings. Hereupon, the sworder stepped forward and bound the sage Duban's eyes and bared his blade, saying to the king, By thy leave, while the physician wept and cried, Spare me, and God will spare thee, and slay me not, or God shall slay thee, and began repeating, I was kind and escaped not. They were cruel and escaped and my kindness only led me to ruination hall. If I live, I'll never be kind. If I die, then all be damned, who follow me and curses their kindliness before. Is this the return I meet from thee? Thou givest me, me seems, but crocodile boon, quoth the king. What is the tale of the crocodile? And quoth the physician, impossible for me to tell it. In this my state, Allah upon thee spare me, as thou hopest Allah shall spare thee. Then one of the king's favorites stood up and said, O king, grant me the blood of this physician. We have never seen him sin against thee, or doing aught save healing thee from a disease which baffled every leech and man of science, said the king. Ye wot not the cause of my putting to death this physician, and this is it. If I spare him, I doom myself to certain death, for one who healed me of such a malady by something held in my hand surely can slay me by something held in my nose, and I fear lest he kill me for a price, since happily he is some spy whose sole purpose is coming hither was to compass my destruction. So there is no help for it. Die he must, and then only shall I be sure of my own life. Now when the physician, O Efrit, knew for certain that the king would kill him, he said, O king, if there be no help, but I must die, grant me some little delay, that I may go down to my house and release myself from my obligations, and direct my folk and my neighbors where to bury me, and distribute my books of medicine. Amongst these I have one, the rarest of rarities which I would present to thee as an offering. Keep it as a treasure in thy treasury. And what is in this book? Things beyond compte, and the least of secrets is that if, directly after thou hast cut off my head, thou open three leaves, and read three lines of the page to thy left hand, and my head shall speak and answer every question thou deignest ask of it. The king wondered with exceeding wonder and shaking, with delight at the novelty, said, O physician, doest thou really tell me that when I cut off thy head it will speak to me? Yes, O my king, this is indeed a strange matter. And the king forthwith sent him closely guarded to his house. And Duban then and there settled all his obligations, 
Next day, he went up to the king's audience hall, where emirs and viziers, chamberlains and nobles, grandees and lords of estate were gathered together, making the presence chamber gay as a garden of flower beads. What the hell? Again gay? Oh my god, please, someone tell me the meaning of the word gay. I don't understand. And lo, the physician came up and stood before the king, bearing a worn old volume and a little etui of metal full of powder, like that used for the eyes. What is used for the eyes? Footnote number one. Ooh, interesting. So we have something called sorme, and sorme is something like an eyeliner. We still use the word to refer to eye makeup, sort of, like, like Jack Sparrow. Anyways, Sage Duban brought with himself something like a makeup etui with a special powder in it. Then he sat down and said, give me a tray. So they brought him one and he poured the powder upon it and leveled it and lastly spake as follows. O king, take this book, but do not open it till my head falls. Then set it upon this tray and bid press it down upon the powder. When forthright, the blood will cease flowing. Put the head on the tray that has the powder and stuff. Should be clear. That is the time to open the book. The king thereupon shook the book and made a sign to the sworder, who arose and struck off the physician's head. Holy fuck! And placing it on the middle of the tray, pressed it down upon the powder. The blood stopped flowing and the sage Duban enclosed his eyes and said, Now open the book. O king. The king opened the book and found the leaves stuck together, so he put his finger to his mouth and, by moistening it, he easily turned over the first leaf, and in like way the second and the third, each leaf opening with much trouble. And when he had unstuck six leaves, he looked over them, and finding nothing written thereon, said, Oi, physician, there is no writing here turn over yet more and he turned over three others in the same way now the book was poisoned and before long the venom penetrated his system and he fell into strong convulsions and he cried out the poison hath done its work whereupon the sage dubon's head began to improvise so imagine an audience hall of a king and everybody is sitting around and there's a head cut off the king is dead the cut off head is on a tray and is freestyling holy shit this is amazing let me see if i can rap this, these verses there be rulers who have ruled with a foul tyrannic sway but they soon became no, but they soon became as though they had never never been just as they had won justice, they oppressed and were oppressed by fortune, who required them with ban and bane and tea. So they faded like the morn, and the tongue of things repeats, Take this for that, nor vent upon fortune's ways, thy spleen. Excuse my being funky. Now in all seriousness, let's continue the story. No sooner had the head ceased speaking than the kings rolled over dead. <laughs> Now, I would have thee know, O Ifrit, that if King Yunan had spared the sage Duban, Allah would have spared him. But he refused so to do, and decreed to do him dead. 
whereof Allah slew him. And thou too, O Ifrit, if thou hadst spared me, Allah would have spared thee. And Shahzad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. Then quoth Dunyazad, O my sister, how pleasant is thy tale, and how tasteful, how sweet, and how grateful. She replied, And where is this, compared with what I could tell thee, this coming night, if I live, and the king spare me? Wink, wink, said the king to himself, <laughs> oh my god, I will not slay her until I hear the rest of her story, for truly it is wondrous. They rested that night in mutual embrace until dawn. Then the king went forth to his darbar. The viziers and troops came in, and the audience hall was crowded. So the king gave orders, and judged, and appointed, and deposed, and bade, and obeyed for the rest of the day. When the court broke up, and the King Shahriar entered his palace, we will be continuing this in the next episode, which will follow the stories of the sixth night. Sleep tight. Adios.